0: All right, our text is Psalms 93 again, and so we continue the message from this morning. But boy, that was a tremendous song. Calvary covers it all. I I love that. I tell you, that is a good one, a good one to sing. Okay. All right. We're in Psalms chapter 93. read this this morning, and so we'll go through it one more time, and then we'll get into the sermon. You say, well, did that have a whole lot to do with this morning's sermon, that text? Yes, because it exalts the Lord, and He's the one that wrote the Word. And so, yes, I I just want us to see that it's all about Him. But as we start here in Psalms 93, beginning with verse 1, The Lord reigneth, He is clothed with majesty. The Lord is clothed with strength, wherewith He hath girded Himself. The world also is established that it cannot be moved. Thy throne is established of old. Thou art from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of many waters. Yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. Thy testimonies are very sure. Holiness becometh thine house, O Lord, forever. And again, may I repeat, when a local church gets away from holy standards, gets away from the holy word of God, and becomes an entertainment business, that church, as a local church, as a whole, has committed blasphemy against God. And... You know what? I feel like if I'm the last man standing for the last church standing, we're not. But if we were, we're not for sale. Amen. 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 All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Precious Father, I want to thank you that Calvary does cover it all. Oh, the precious Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who died for us, paid my penalty in full. Scarcely for a righteous man would one die. But Lord, you died for me, an old wicked sinner. You died for all men for all time. That if they came to you in repentance and faith, you would save their soul. So I thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for what you've done for us, but especially we thank you for what you're going to do because the best is yet to come. So thank you for it. In Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name we pray it. Amen. Now this morning we actually looked at the greatness of our God. I wanted to get that down in your hearts and minds. The greatness of our God. He's worth serving. He is God. And we read in Psalms 37 verse 5 and verse 9, and let me reread that to you again. It says there, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And again, His promise is never broken, and it's forever. So we looked at that this morning, and we told you about commitment. Commitment of yourself to God in total, of your spirit, of your mind, of your body. Commitment is to trust Him completely above your feelings, above your understandings. As a matter of fact, I use the example of Moses. I'm not going to pick up a snake anyway, but I think I know enough that you don't pick it up by the tail but he picked up a serpent by the tail simply because the Lord told him to. Matter of fact, you read there, you find out that at first he's kind of afraid to handle it. I kind of like Wendy Bagwell said, where's the back door when they were handling snakes in that church, you know? Where do you reckon they want one, you know? Uh, but really, really, when you think about it, that was against his own understanding against his own wisdom. But he did it because that's what the Lord wanted him to do. And through Christ, we can do all things. It's through Christ to strengthen us. Why? Because nothing is too hard for God. We conquer only through him. Our adversary the devil, a roaring lion, who goeth about seeking whom he may devour. I think it's interesting that the Lord had Moses pick up that rod that turned into a serpent. I think it's interesting because a serpent is what deceived Eve. A serpent is a good sign of the devil. Uh, Revelation 12 calls him that old serpent, the devil. But when you act in the power and in obedience to God, that, even that old devil, if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. But you resist him in the power of God. Now, tonight we want to take up and, uh, and start from there. And again, in the context of what we read in uh, Psalms chapter 37 and verse 9, we were told that evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. Now, look. This world has evildoers. It has evildoers in the public fanfare. It has evildoers in upper echelons of society. It has evildoers in local churches, even good fundamental Bible-believing churches. It has, uh, there are evildoers in families. Wherever you go, there are evildoers. But we're waiting on the Lord. The evildoers shall be cut off. But we that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. Now there are those that have betrayed you. There are those who have done evil to you. And yet with all of that, they might have hurt, not just hurt your feelings, but you might have a wounded spirit. Listen, there's a great difference between a wounded spirit and hurt feelings. A wounded spirit Kind of like, I would say like Jacob. He wrestled with the angel. Now, he didn't have a wounded spirit, but he limped the rest of his life. And that wounded spirit is a scar that affects the rest of your life. It's there. Even though all things may be dealt with and forgiven, it is there. It's a wounded spirit. It happens in broken marriages. And the marriage is ended. It's broken. The spirit is wounded. And yet, they can go on because there is still victory in Jesus. And so, some have those wounded spirits. But you don't resort to evil doing to get back at them. Most often, what that does, when you try to get back, it leaves you with regret. Regret. Regret for the evil that you've done. And you found out that with all the regret, getting even, if that's what you call it, didn't mean a thing. It doesn't. It has a temporary thrill, but leaves you with long-lasting regret. And so, understand, when you do evil, it leads to regret. Sometimes it leads to being cut off from your call. In call for power and blessing from God. It may be even cutting off of your life early. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, there were those that were That died early. They slept early, the Bible says. It meant they died early as Christians for the sin in their life. Now, someone may want to go and quote Philippians and say, Yeah, but for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To be with the Lord is far better, not just better, far better. That's true. But when you read the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and some slept early, The difference is when you have an apostle Paul who says to be with the Lord is far better because he's entering a place of reward. The person who dies that way, is cut off early, is entering a place where he is ashamed for the way it ended. He's ashamed. And there's no reward. Saved so as by fire. No, that's not the way we want to end up. And, and hopefully, that's not the way you're going to end up. But you just keep going and keep going and keep going and you keep going. If by the grace of God and faith in Him and His Holy Word, you wait on Him. You say, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? The idea actually from the word wait as it, as it appeared in the, the old, uh, well, the Hebrew of the Old Testament, and it's even used that way in the Greek. The idea of wait is not standing around like, <sighs> that's not it. Wait had the idea of waiting a table. You know, they bring your food out, they wash, you know, they uh, clean up spills, they do all these other things, but they're waiting a table. Waiting is doing what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You're to be a witness. You're to pray. You're to be in God's Word. You're to uh, be faithful to God's house. On and on we could go that the Bible tells, that gives to every Christian to do. By the way, that's the will of God for every Christian. But you're waiting on that specific call. You're waiting on that specific direction. You don't have it yet. So you just keep on doing what you're supposed to do until that door opens. You keep on going, keep on doing, keep on keeping on for Jesus Christ. That is God's will, and that is God's way to go about it. So you just continue to serve Him, and you do your best for the Lord in that, even though you may have a call. I mean, how many missionaries, when I sat there on the board at BIMI, and we approved it this past uh December, and that we're looking to do again this summer, and that Brother Dan Sutton will be one of them. But how many of them are, no, they've got a field they're called to, they're called to a work, and now the support from churches aren't, isn't there, and being able to get into church, present their ministry isn't there. What do you do? You, well, you keep on serving the Lord until the door is open. You just keep on keeping on for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The Lord is in it. Therefore, just keep on keeping on because you know that there is an inheritance in eternity that will make the magnitude of any persecution, of any suffering, seem minute in comparison to the greatness of the glory that's ahead. Romans 8.18 says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. You know, Hebrews chapter 11 we call the Hall of Fame, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, all those were great men of God. But some they say, some were sawn in half. They say because it's in a lot of the rabbinical writings, many believe that Isaiah was one of those, and that very well could be. Sawing, so, I can't imagine taking a living person, how that would be. A person's alive and they're laid down, they're tied out and stretched out, and people take a saw and start sawing them in half. Wow. People were burnt at the stake and other things, but that kind of suffering. And yet, when you think of that suffering, that faith, that belief in God, that trust of Him says, as bad as that is, it is so minute nothing compared to the greatness of the glory in heaven. And that greatness is forever. This life is temporal, it's forever forever. Do we believe it? Do we believe it? See, when we believe something, we act upon it. When we believe, we act upon it. So, you just keep on doing your best for the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I think of Philippians. He says, I press towards the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus what is that mark it is god's will for my life doing god's will god's way and in god's timing and it's to do it with all my utmost effort jesus said in matthew chapter 5 verses 10 through 12 blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all matter of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which went before you. Think of the call of Ezekiel and Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Ezekiel both are told, uh, they're going to be against you. I told Ezekiel, uh, "Make your head as hard as flint." They're going to be hard. They they're going to come after you. But I'm on your side. I'm going to give you victory. Jeremiah was in stocks. He was in dungeons. He was I mean, so many things happened to him. He even got to a point one point where he said. Man, I decided I'm not going to preach any longer in his name. But because he walked with God, he meditated in the Word of God, and those things became so him. He said it was a fire burning in my bones, and I was trying to shut up, but I couldn't. That's the idea of commitment. That's the idea of walking with God. That's the idea of living for him. That's what we do when we're serving the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, blessed are they that are persecuted for righteousness' sake. These are the words of Jesus, by the way. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. He says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when, ye shall, when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Now friend, again, if you're going to serve the Lord in any capacity, whether it's a missionary, a full-time ministry in a local church, or just what we all are supposed to be full-time Christians, Being faithful to God's house, being a witness in your community, being the witness God wants you to be, and being a testimony for the Lord and serving Him. You know, I don't think the Lord's called everybody to be a pastor. I don't think the Lord's called everybody to be an evangelist, to be a missionary in the sense that we think of it. But if you're saved, you do have a call that's just as important as any call that I have, and that is to be a light in this world. Hey, the Lord wants a light in that construction job. The Lord wants a light in that factory. The Lord wants a light in that retail place. The Lord wants a light wherever you are. The Lord wants a light. And you're saved. You are that light. Don't hide it under a bushel of fear. Don't hide it under a bushel of worldliness. Be the light, because the light of the Lord is always holy. Always, 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 His light is holy. So, when you think God is not near, oh, yes, He is. You know, there was a period after Joseph was sold into Egyptian slavery. We don't read of God sending an angel We don't read of God speaking to him verbally. He had dreams before he went. And those dreams were God talking to him and he believed them. So even when he was sold into slavery, put in stocks, everything that went wrong went wrong. Anything that could go wrong would go wrong. Psalms tells us that they hurt my feet with stocks. It means that he had. Probably a limp the rest of his life just like his father Joseph. They hurt his feet with fetters. And when he had a chance to interpret the dreams of those two prisoners and they were right, he says, remember me now when you go to the, back to Pharaoh, what I did, two years passes by, the guy's not saying a word. He's just glad to be out. He doesn't want to say anything, it might get him back in there anyhow. And then Pharaoh has a dream. See, God always moves in his time. Obviously, Joseph wanted out much sooner than he got out. But he must continue faithful. And from the reaction of the jailer and all those that were in there, they see that there was a light and there was a testimony there. But as we think about that, as we think on that, He did not have angels. They did not appear unto him. As a matter of fact, he didn't have even the law because the law had not been given yet. So how does he stay faithful? How does he stay true? God's not speaking to men with visions and other things at this point. He's not sending angels to them. Oh, but I think we find an answer in Genesis 19. God knew that Abraham would instruct his family after them, all of his household. You see, they were taught of God in the home. All he had to do was meditate and think on the things of God. And the Spirit of God sustained him because the Spirit has breathed out every word of God. And so he had that to guide, he had that to lead. In all their ways, all he has to do is acknowledge him, and they know that God will direct their ways. That's why we have a Holy Ghost. We just must acknowledge them, to let them lead us in all of our ways and paths. And he will direct it if you'll let him. So again, did not speak audibly, not with voices of angels. I think Job's a picture of that. Job, (laughs) book of Job, God doesn't speak to him until you get to Job 38. Look at all the things Job goes through. And, And God doesn't speak to him until Job 38. I shared with you about Martin Luther's statement this morning, if I profess with loudest voice and dearest exposition every portion of the truth of God, except precisely the little point, which, uh, the point at which the world and the devil are at the moment attacking, I'm not confessing Christ. However, boldly I may profess Christ, where the battle rages, there the loyalty of the soldier is proved. And to be steady on all the battlefield besides is merely flight and disgrace if it flinches at the point of attack. Yes, the world attacks. Satan attacks. But understand this as well. Boy, it wouldn't have been great if they had the Word of God. They'd had the Bible. See, even in Job's day they didn't have the law. Hadn't been given to Moses yet. They didn't have the law. But he remains faithful. Faithful. We see God speaking audibly to him in the 38th chapter, but not before them. Now, I take from that, that he did have what was passed down from Abraham. Abraham. I do believe that he had that in his daily walk with God that was not abandoned when he went through the great trials of losing his, all of his children, all of his wealth, his health, losing it all. He's in what he has from the Lord, and it is enough. Remember the rich man in Lazarus? The rich man's in hell. He sees Lazarus laying in Abraham's bosom. And he says, Father Abraham, send Lazarus, that old guy that was full of sores that laid at my gate. Send Lazarus that he may dip his finger in water and touch my tongue because I'm tormented in this flame. Hell's a place of fire, by the way, and torment." He said, they'd believe if one came to him from the dead. My brothers would believe. Send them to my brothers. They'd believe. And every prayer he put up got an answer of no. No, there's a great gulf. He can't pass over there. Why? Because he's saved. He doesn't go to where the unsaved are being punished. But what about, what about, uh, sending somebody, it sounds great, you know, somebody went to him from the dead, they'd get saved. What was the Lord's answer? What was Abraham answering there? He said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. They won't hear them. They won't believe it, even if one rose from the dead. Two thousand years later, we find that that's very true. One's risen from the dead, five hundred witnesses at once, and people still don't believe it. It's not miracles that bring conversion. It's Jesus Christ, but when He saves a soul, it is a miracle. Right. That's the idea behind it. Well, we find that too many times we want God to show us immediately an answer to our problem. We hope that there's a sermon. Maybe there's a godly person we know and we we see them as a counselor and and we want to go to them and talk to them. We want some kind of a sign. You know what? Jesus Christ is the counselor. I was told as a pastor to preach the word in season, out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Doctrine. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfectly, uh, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God called me to be a person that does that, not to be a psychologist. I have searched the scriptures. I've read them many, 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 many times. And I've yet to see the call to be a psychologist. But I've seen that there is one counselor. And he never guides you wrongly. Oh, it's good to talk to someone that has knowledge of the word of God and maybe they can bring some things up from the word of God. But maybe that's not the thing that God wants you to hear at the moment. Maybe there's another answer in his word that he wants you to get. You see, he wants you to grow in your relationship with him. He wants you to spend time alone with him in the deeper part of your inner man to get his counsel as you read his word and you meditate on his word and you pray that you may grow more intimately knowledgeable of him than you've ever been. That you might grow in your love for God. One desperately needs that time. The answer of God to your problem must become, and listen to this the answer of God to your problem must become less important than your relationship to God. You say, What? Oh, yeah. God wants you as a Christian to get to know Him so well that you'll get over. You've got to know it now and just wait on direction from Him. You've got to learn to wait patiently on Him. He loves you. God is near. He's going to do it in His time. Too many want it now, but they want it from the pastor's mouth. They want it from a friend rather than seeking God. God wants to be the one as your counselor that gives it to you. Because of the relationship. I'm not here to build a relationship with me. That's why we read Psalms 93. It exalts God. I want your relationship to be with God. Yeah, I love you folks. Your prayers for me these last few weeks have been a great thing for me as well. But God still has to do it. And it's got to be that relationship with Him. And so... Well, what are we for with our friends and the pastor and everybody else? Hey, we're for edification. The Bible tells us to edify. We're for edification, we're for encouragement, and especially we're for laboring together. And we labor together with God. That's what the Bible says. That's what we're to do. Instead of taking uh, God's place, I don't want to do that. I want you to get to know him so well that you already know that answer. Now, I'm going to tell a story that will probably put me on the sofa for tonight. But we first got married. We went out, trying the first time. And then my wife grew up a farmer. Okay, she grew up on a farm in North Carolina. So they, they killed their own beef. And so their hamburgers came from that. First time we went to the grocery store, we were walking through there, and I seen this kind of hamburger, this kind of hamburger. And as soon as I found the cheapest one, that's the one we bought. So when I come home for lunch, you know, I wanted a hamburger. And that's just about time quarter pounders were being advertised. I come home and just got that little time for lunch. I got to go back to work. And she comes out there, fries it up real quick and comes out there. And it was a quarter, but it was the size of a quarter. (laughs) She wasn't, she didn't know those things shrink. This wasn't the palm raised, you know, this was something they bought in the store that had everything mixed in with it, obviously. Now, she started crying. She started crying. I waited till I got outside to cry because I only got a quarter burger, okay? <laughs> but, guess what? most of you, all of you that are married know that you thought you knew the person before you married them. After you've been married just a few weeks, you realize, Lord, what in the world did I do? But really, through getting to know her over the years, I know things that, even though we may have never discussed it before, don't go there. Don't go there. So I was talking to one guy. What gives you longevity in marriage? I don't try to run her life. And I don't try to run mine either. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) Uh, But what I'm saying is that you get to know the person and you know the answer. Get to know God so well that when you're faced with that temptation to go this way. How many young preachers have been told, look, this will increase your numbers. Hey, if you'll do this, this will help you that. This will get you, this will exalt your name to a point where people want to come to hear you. The ministry has never been about exalting my name or any preacher's name. It's about exalting the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. So we've got to exalt his name. Oh, precious name. Oh, how sweet. Hope of earth and joy of heaven. Yes, that's a precious, so precious name. Well, God does want you to get to know him so personally. So that you know, in the depths of that inner man, when he says, wait, you're just going to keep serving wherever you're serving, being the witness, being holy, being separate from the world, you're just going to keep on doing that until he goes to the place that he has for you. Okay, that's the way you do it. You don't need a preacher, you don't need a good friend that you just really trust their counsel. You need the word of God in your walk with him. That makes the difference. So, no, I don't always get the answer I wanted. I don't get it as quick as I wanted but we do know all things work together for good to those who love God and for those who are the called according to His purpose. Grow in your knowledge and relationship to Him. Get to know His voice in your heart, in your inner man. Get to know Him so well that the voice of God inside you, by the knowledge of His Word and you're meditating on it, get to know Him so well that that voice is as familiar to you in your inner man as the voice of your spouse is to your ear. That's knowing God. That's knowing Him. Yes, the Christian life is separated from the world life and it's separated unto God life. It's all commitment to Him. Therefore, what he leads, what he tells, will never contradict the Word of God. never. it will never contradict the Word of God or His person. Some may think in the contemporary movement, you know what? We get to tell people about Jesus. Yeah, they come in, they hear that music. yeah, they we Take away those standards. We'd give them tickets to go to the movies and everything else, man. Hey, it's great. Yeah. So Jesus is a hip guy that goes to Las Vegas and gambles, but he loves. He has love. That's not Jesus. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter 12 says is another Jesus. When I was in the hospital a few weeks ago, there were about three or four of them doctors and nurses saying, Well, you're not supposed to be alive. You're not supposed to be alive. You're not supposed to be alive. People don't live through it. You've had two in in, in three weeks, and and, and you've had three in your life, and you shouldn't be alive. You know, if this doesn't change, that doesn't change. I said, well, right now you're threatening me with heaven. That's not a threat. Come up with another one, you know. And they said, well, yeah, we, we see that. They said, but if I was you, one of them said, if I was you, I'd go buy a lottery ticket with your luck. I said, if I go buy a lottery ticket, the one that's kept me alive is not going to keep me alive any longer. <laughs> I says, I'm not lucky, I'm blessed. Amen. And look, don't take Satan's offerings out there as what, will that's the way he started with Eve. Hey, you will be his God. No. God's word, God's way, God's timing. John fifteen, eighteen through twenty one, the world uh, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me for it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake. Because they know not him that sent me. Do You realize that uh, those apostles were not Jesus Christ. They weren't out exalting their name. They were exalting Christ's name. But as they preached what God told them to preach, there are people that just hated them for it and wanted to kill them. Jesus, when he was born, somebody wanted to kill him. Everywhere he went, there were those that wanted him killed. uh, Many of these apostles, they, they died. Martyrs' deaths. But isn't it interesting, those Christians that got thrown to the lions in the Roman Colosseum, that there were many conversions to Christ up in the Colosseum because they saw the peace and the joy they had. I think some in Acts saw Peter, John coming, rejoicing that these people thought that they were worthy to be beaten for the name of Christ. We're not worthy to be beaten for His name. He's so wonderful. Wow. The question I don't like in saying that is Would I be the same way? I'm really wondering if I would be there. It's a question we all must face because this is, God is near, but if you draw nigh to God, He'll draw nigh to you. Are we drawing nigh? Are we drawing nigh? I'm not going to preach the rest of this sermon, but I'm going to sum it up right now. Let me say it this way. We know America's in trouble. I'm thankful for a President that honors Israel. I'm thankful for a President that said, open the churches, this country needs prayer. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for people that were faithful here. I'm thankful for people who support us. I'm thankful for all those things. But let me tell you something. Churches are still worldly. Standards are still out the window. How can there be revival? How can there be revival? You know, one of the things that I believe Brother Hodges would confirm this. Sometimes churches take youth groups down on a mission trip. Oh, mercy is right, huh? Had it happen. Take them down there as a mission trip. Oh, they go backpacking each other. Oh, wasn't that wonderful? They went to serve the Lord on a mission field. They took this mission trip. He's got to spend about three months getting his teenagers straightened back out again. He's got to spend time getting his own teenagers straightened back out again. That's his testimony, but that's the testimony of other missionaries as well. And and I want you to know, Goodness gracious. This country's got to get back to where the churches aren't a nightclub presentation. We've got to get back to where they're not coming to church, Let young ladies, teenagers, dressed as harlots. We've got to get back to where church is more important that you let your kids stay home on Sunday night or on a Wednesday night. Right. Right. Well, I have a headache. Oh, does that headache keep you out of work? Well, well no, you say, i got to get, well, then you're a liar. Right. If it will not keep you out of work. It should not keep you out of church. And look, look, I've been here since uh, 1984, 86, a senior pastor. I've seen parents. My child wants to be a witness in the public school. I remember visiting one of them in jail that told me that I told my parents I could be a witness, and they believed me. I've had them say, Well, that school. They're a bunch of legalists. Yeah. I thought that same thing the first time a policeman pulled me over for going too fast. Is that legalist? And 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 hey, let me tell you one of the things. Hey, if they go to public school they or this other school. Maybe it might not even be a public school. It might be a Christian school. If they go to that school, they'll get into sports. Boy, that'll open up things for them. Oh. So you're going to let the public school or you're going to let some other private school or you're going to let something else that's doctrinally wrong open it up for your children instead of God. Too many Children, teenagers are making decisions for the home where they go to school, where they go to church, and that's why America is falling apart, and revival can't come to America. We can't have a, a revival in this country until there's a revival in the home. And we're not going to have a revival in the home until we're committed to Christ, and we grow in that intimate knowledge of Get to know him in the deep parts of your inner man. So his voice is as familiar to you as the voice of your spouse. Now, none of that happens if you're not saved. I'd like to think everybody in the auditorium, or maybe even those listening to us on the radio or internet or whatever, I'd like to think that every one of them is saved, but I know that that's not always the case. Jesus Christ will save you. I don't care how much of a mess you've made of your life, the power in the blood of Jesus Christ covered it all as they sang. He died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. But understand this too. I had this in my other sermon notes. I hate to leave it out, so I won't. You know one of the things I hate that I've had people come up and say to me? I've had them say it about the sin of homosexuality. I've had them say it about other sins. And they'll say, well, you just gotta forgive them. You just gotta forgive them. That is as much out of hell as any other doctrine's out of hell. You say, what do you mean? The Lord said, if you forgive not your debtors, neither will I forgive you. your brother sins against you, forgive him. Yeah, he said that, but you're missing the context. You forget. They come back and they repent. They turn from that homosexuality. They turn from that drinking. They turn from that other stuff they're doing. They turn from it. Until they turn from it and ask for forgiveness. Look, God didn't save me because, well, he died on the cross. He was buried and rose from the dead. He took care of everything, so I don't even have to ask him to save me. That'd be the same idea. You just got to forgive them. The Lord doesn't do that. You've got to come to him. And my friend, that's what you have to do is come to him if you're not sure if you died today that heaven's your home. Now look, I don't live in your homes. And you can thank the Lord a thousand times for that. Um, I don't live in your homes. I don't know what goes on in your home. But I do know this. God knows. Why? Because God is near. But he forgives. And you may need to come to this this altar tonight, not to say anything to me, but to talk to God and to say, Lord, I don't want my home to be a hindrance to revival. See, normally this is a sermon you preach for getting ready for a revival meeting. I'm not looking for a meeting. I'm looking for revival. It's time. It's time. If God's going to do anything for America, Christians and the local church have to get right. Don't look at all the wicked people in the world getting saved until we get right. It's time to get right. Let's bow our heads.